1: Hey, folks. Zach Osterman here, IU Insider, Indianapolis star. This is Mind Your Banners for Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. The first Mind Your Banners not in January this year, and that's always a good feeling. And across from me in this swankiest of studios, an actual studio, not just someone's (laughs) kitchen, and we're calling it a studio, (laughs) is Galen Clavio of Crimson Cast. Galen, uh, we have on every so often. Just to, to provide a different perspective, thank you so much for Coming on and oh. bringing your studio with you.
0: Always a pleasure to be here, and the studio's happy to be here too.
1: We really <laughs> had Galen on for the studio. Access. That's right. Let's yeah, they
0: just honest. use me. For, it's like I'm the kid who's in the friend group, but isn't really the friend, but has like the same yeah. Genesis. Yeah, yes. you've,
1: you have the Dreamcast. Yes, you have the Dreamcast, the one that we you got from Japan. That's right, because uh, it's not out in the United States yet.
0: <laughs> it's a it's a PAL unit, not an NTSC. Anyway, go on.
1: Um Uh, Today we'll talk a little bit about Maryland, a little bit about Ohio State, but I I really want more of this to spin forward to Purdue and Rutgers. Um, Very quickly, I I think probably just kind of a median outcome on those Ohio State and Maryland games. I thought Indiana played well against Ohio State. Ohio State's obviously got some real issues. When Bryce Sensabaugh scores 23 points and you lose by 16, I don't really know what you say to your locker room after a game like that, but this isn't an Ohio state podcast. Tough look for Chris. Holton, was, though, you yeah. Say. I mean, it was it, obviously that's, that's headed in a certain direction, but I think if you're Indiana, um, you know, it was, it was just a, a further reinforcing of this formula of, you know, Trace Jackson Davis maybe wasn't even quite as good as we've seen him be in that game. And it's, it's funny to say that when he had 18 points, 10 rebounds, two blocks and six assists. Um, but Jalen Huchafina was obviously outstanding. Malik Renew was really good off the bench. And then, you know, it's, it's, People always kind of want to see people hit double figures, but I mean, like Tamar Bates, Miller, Cop, Trey Galloway, Race Thompson, all uh, combining for 22 points. When you've got three other guys in, in double figures, that's a very steady sort of performance. And then you buttress that with Maryland. Um, I didn't think Indiana played well. I didn't. I also didn't think they played terribly. They just struggled the way you tend to struggle on the road. That was a really good environment. Maryland wanted that game. Maryland, you know, Maryland is is kind of in. I think the position that that Indiana has been in at times in in the recent past where if you look at their schedule, they do not have a road win. Um, They've got a couple neutral site wins that are okay, including a, a win over Miami back in November. But basically all of their good work right now is being done at home. And either Indiana or Illinois at home is their best win to date from a Ken Palm perspective. And it very much felt like one of those, like we've seen Indiana when Indiana's kind of, Known, we're going to be on the bubble. We need this win. We can't let it go. It felt like one of those games in the building for Maryland.
0: They look a lot like Indiana did at this time last year when yeah. Indiana beat Maryland, uh, and actually that ended up being one of their only road wins of the year last year. So yeah, no, I, I'm with you, and and I agree. Indiana did not look good. It was one of those games, kind of like the Iowa game earlier on, where they started off well, they looked really engaged, and then Maryland made adjustments. And Indiana really didn't seem to know how to handle those adjustments. And I just think Maryland, they played a, a very difficult style for Indiana to deal with. So not something I got overly freaked out about. It was disappointing. You would have liked to have seen the the win streak continue. But I don't think Maryland is a pushover. And I think they've got at least a decent chance to go to the NCAA tournament if they keep that type of play up.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I think if the tournament started today, I think they would be in the tournament. Um, they wouldn't be seated as high as, as, for example, in Illinois or in Indiana because Illinois and Indiana have – better wins away from home. Um, But they would be in the tournament. The only game they've lost at home all year was to UCLA in kind of a weird no-show in December. Um, You know, I I think the one thing that, you know, that there are elements of that game that when when Mike Woodson said we just didn't make shots, I think the, you know, the the sort of, the the rider you attach to the end of that is when you don't make shots, you got to find other ways on the road. And Indiana couldn't do that. They were in foul trouble. Can have a separate conversation about the way games are being officiated for Indiana right now, um, but the thing that really stood out to me was primarily the way Maryland defended Indiana. And not everybody's going to do that. Like Purdue, for example, you would be surprised if they go with this crazy press zone sort of combination. I think a, a team like Purdue is justified in saying, "No, you beat us. We don't. We don't play you. You play us, and you figure out how to how to beat us." But I think more teams, we've seen other teams do this. Rutgers did it successfully. Ohio State did it unsuccessfully. Michigan State sort of did it unsuccessfully. Some combination of a, a press and a zone. Minnesota did it as successfully as basically they could. Um, the idea being you're not going to – Stop Trace Jackson Davis, but what you can do is slow Indiana down. Indiana quietly has been playing a lot faster this year than I think people realize, particularly just compared to where they were a year ago. And they've even traded, I think, intentionally a little bit of defensive intensity and a little bit of defensive production for being a faster, more high-tempo team offensively. Um, Maryland was hell-bent on that game being played slowly. That press wasn't built for turnovers or disruption it was purely built to slow indiana bringing the ball up the floor and then as a 2-2-1 to sink immediately into a 2-3 zone that collapsed hard on trace jackson davis didn't take him out of the offense he had 18 points and 20 rebounds but isolated him within within the offense such that it didn't feel like indiana was getting the passing the sort of play not just to jackson davis but through jackson davis that it needed to. More opponents are going to try that. And, you know, is shooting, I think, about 32.5% from three on the road, which is not abnormal. You, all, you tend to right. shoot better at home. Um, but the point is somebody else is going to do that too. you. You've got to be ready for it.
0: I mean, there were a couple of things. Indiana actually performed pretty well statistically against the zone looks that they had in that Maryland game. A lot of their problems came when Maryland would kind of switch out of it uh, or would put themselves in a position where, you know, they – their collapsing down on Trace Jackson-Davis was different from what we saw other teams doing. Uh, it was almost more like what Michigan State did to some degree. They it would, reminded me of Rutgers. Yeah, it they reminded br- me of, of,
1: what, of what
0: Rutgers did. They would bring the double down late, and that cut off a lot of options that Trace Jackson-Davis was getting against, say, in Illinois, uh, even though they weren't really doubling against Illinois. Point being, Indiana needs to learn how to adapt better. And when they're not getting shooting from outside— when when Miller Kopp is essentially kind of double-clutching on the perimeter, not just taking the shot when it's passed out to him, he's, he seems to have this thing now where he, he feels the need to fake, go to his left, and then shoot, and he's got a very low percentage doing that. In games where Tamar Bates isn't hitting from outside, where Jalen Huchefino isn't hitting from outside, um, that's where Indiana is going to really run into problems. Indiana got really discombobulated in that Maryland game. And even more so as the game went on, they just didn't seem to be able to adapt to what Maryland was throwing at them. And they seemed to get increasingly frustrated and they increasingly kept saying, well, either Trace Jackson Davis or Malik Renew is going to need to put something up to start with because we're not sure what to do otherwise. And that I don't think is as big of a deal at home. I don't think Indiana is going to get as rushed. And I also just don't think at the end of the day, Purdue has the personnel set. To play the way that Maryland did, I mean Maryland, a lot of juniors and seniors, a lot of really athletic players. You know, Purdue's relying on uh, you know some freshman guards, some guys that don't have that same level of athleticism. They're very good at what they do. I just don't know if they're going to be able to play quite like that against and Indiana. It's, I mean,
1: it's also different when you have Zach Eady in, in the middle. That, yeah. that goes back kind of the idea of you know you beat us, we don't we yeah. don't play to you, you play to us. And yes, I think you know uh, Lawyer and Smith are obviously impressive for freshmen, um, but you're going to play an effective 2-3 zone. you got to have some length yeah. and and some experience. Um, because I, I say this all the time, like, people always just want to say, oh, just, you know, just press or just trap or whatever. You, know, you have to practice that stuff. Like, you can't, <laughs> you know, you, you, you can't just walk into practice one day and say, hey, we were going to work on Purdue prep and – some shooting drills and we haven't we haven't really sharpened up our ball handling in a while but we're just going to throw all that away yeah. and install a press and you better not screw it up 48 hours from now. It's
0: it's not college troops 2K8. You can't it's, just it's, do four different defenses in one possession.
1: Right. Like you it, it you're not going to hand somebody the textbook on Thursday and expect them to ace the test on Saturday. Right. Um but I do think that, like, I mean, you look at Michigan, you look at Northwestern, Illinois. I think Illinois, maybe one of the few learned experiences they would like to sustain as much as they can when they come to to Assembly Hall, is going to be the effect of pre- their pressure, which is admittedly designed to do something a little bit different, had on Indiana. Um, you're going to play Michigan twice. Iowa's already shown you a lot of zone. Now, obviously, you you beat that zone up pretty. You didn't win the game, but you scored 89 points. You beat that zone up pretty good. But the point is. You know, and this is what I wrote after the game Saturday or Tuesday, uh, excuse me, the days do run together (laughs) this time of year. Um, You know, the, the Big Ten watched Trace Jackson Davis tear everybody apart for a month and not just with his own points or with his own rebounds. But with the way he affected the game defensively, with the way he passed the ball, with the way that the offense could run through him as though he were a point forward in many senses. I think when we say point forward, we often think of big men bringing the ball up the floor. And he's been doing some of that, you know, purposely, intentionally. But it's more than just that. It's the idea that he's the fulcrum around which the offense rotates. Now the conference has had a month to watch that decided this is the way we're going to try and adjust to it. Indiana's got to find that counter move, and that's normal. Like that's yeah. that is just like that is that is how this works. Yeah, you know, you show them something that works, they figure out a way to slow it down. You figure out a way to counteract that. Like that is just the the constant push and pull of a basketball season. But that's kind of the the, the not to torture a pun, but the ball is bounced back into Indiana's court right now, into Mike Woodson's court in terms of figuring out. How to adjust to this specifically?
0: And and look, you got to give IU some credit and Mike Woodson some credit. They had that three-game losing streak, and there was clearly something wrong defensively. They had three really bad defensive games back to back to back. Um, Then they figured something out, and you look at their defensive performances in the five-game winning streak, and they were all really good. Uh, Michigan State kind of got uh, some extra possession points at the end but by and large they look pretty good and even in that maryland game the defense looked pretty good it was the offense that kind of fell by the wayside and a similar thing happened on the road at minnesota and what i can't figure out similar
1: with, defense too yeah. now, the, the difference is i think that minnesota game there were a lot clean like they, they were getting clean looks yes. that just weren't going down maryland they were struggling to yeah. find those shots whereas minnesota was very much a game where if two or three more of those open threes go down That game's not as close and it's not a vintage performance, but nobody really stresses about
0: it. The problem ultimately ends up being if you don't have Jordan Geronimo and they didn't for the Maryland game, you have one less post player who's really going to take shots and feel like they're going to make them. Uh, Malik Renew is in that phase right now where he, he believes in his offensive game, and that's a nice change from how he looked in December and early January. But the problem is Malik Renew is doing a lot of silly freshman things in terms of fouling. Uh as much as I've had complaints about the way that Big Ten games have been refereed, IU commits a lot of dumb fouls. He and, also
1: he also offensively needs to score his points in a lot of ways, a lot of the same ways and in yes. a lot of the same spots on the floor as Trace Jackson Davis, whereas Jordan Gerano has at least a three-point shot, and a mid-range jumper that you have to respect. And if you're you're talking about attacking a zone in particular, you put a 6'7", six, 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 forward with long arms and a, and a legitimate 12-foot jumper in the middle of the paint, just below the free-throw line, well, that's a soft spot in the zone where Jordan Geronimo can do enough damage to maybe pull somebody out of it.
0: What's going to be interesting against Purdue is – Zach Eady obviously is the the gravity well upon which everything is rotating for Purdue defensively as well as offensively. Uh, it may actually be helpful for IU to have two legitimate post scorers because Eady is only going to be able to play effective rim protection against one at a time. And you know, I I actually think that if Painter is smart and if Woodson's smart, they're not going to have Eady and Trace Jackson Davis going directly up against one another because the risk is too great of either of them picking up fouls or putting themselves in a disadvantageous position. So for Indiana, what that ends up meaning offensively is who's the person on the other block that can take passes that are coming across or be an alternate entry. Uh, Race Thompson, unfortunately, does not look like he's physically able to handle that for a full game. Malik Renou being able to come in there and do that doesn't give Indiana some more versatility in the post and if you can make it so that Edie can't be in two places at once I do think that you increase your possibilities of putting some points on the board and and that's really going to be Indiana's like key to success yes they're going to need the outside shooting but they're going to need whoever's out there in the post with Trace Jackson Davis whether it's Geronimo or somebody else to be able to find soft spots and exploit it either to draw people away from TJD or to score on their own.
1: It's worth saying Purdue is one of the best teams in the country, not just defending twos, which you'd expect given, you know, where Zach Eady is, what Zach Eady is, who Zach Eady is. Uh, also just one of the best teams in the country at limiting quality two-point looks. And that is, you know, if if, if we're talking about kind of the ways that Indiana might be thinking about attacking Purdue, then I think you're, you're going to try and stress those freshman guards, pressure them a little bit, make them drive around you make them deal with the, 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 the atmosphere of Assembly Hall. You know, I mean, the, the Indi- or, uh, Purdue's been to Michigan State, but, like, in the same way that Indiana's toughest road environment every year is pretty much always Mackey Arena, the same is going to be true for Purdue coming to Assembly Hall. Um, but for me, the biggest thing for Indiana, just the biggest sort of, like, if I'm overlaying these two teams on paper, the biggest question I have is Indiana, at its best offensively, lives on twos. And then, that, and then that sort of spreads itself out beyond the three-point line. Um, Purdue is one of the best teams in the country at not just defending two-point shots, but making it really difficult for you to manufacture quality two-point shots. Um, and I'm just that – is, that is the area where I look at and I just wonder, you know, exactly how Indiana attacks this. Because a year ago, that was – I mean – To be fair, and obviously the the game in Bloomington gets really skewed by Rob Fennessy going nuts and Trace Jackson Davis being in foul trouble, the the truer sort of matchup or test of the matchup was probably the game in West Lafayette. And the the, the success Indiana had was in pulling Zach Eadie out of the post in ball screen situations, taking advantage of his lack of mobility, and then forcing Matt Painter to go back to Trevion Williams, who gave up the size advantage on Trace Jackson Davis. And if you go back to that game, I know Indiana loses the game ultimately— but if you go back to that game, Trace Jackson Davis has 15 points, 6 rebounds. Xavier Johnson has 18 points, 12 assists, 5 rebounds. Um, number one, I don't think you can necessarily do that to Edie so easily anymore. Number two, to your point, you've got guys now, if you're Purdue, I mean, uh, like Caleb First is is not as good, obviously, as Trace Jackson Davis. But he is six ten, 230 pounds. He's got a good wingspan. Um, he knows what he's doing. Obviously, you have you know, Trey Kaufman-Wren, I think, is is had some good moments this season. At absolute worst, he, uh, he has five fouls that he can give you in those situations. And so I agree with you that I don't know if Purdue's primary cover on Jackson Davis is Zach. He, there are probably going to be some times where they want it to be. But not just sort of automatically, Zach, go find 23 every time down the floor. I'm just – I think Indiana's biggest challenge here is is how do you put Purdue in conflict in such a way that you get the the looks at the rim that you want unless this really is just going to be a game where Indiana hits 14 threes. If they do that, and I, I, this team is better shooting the three, obviously I don't think you can necessarily count on that alone. If they do that, then that's mitigated somewhat. But Indiana – I mean Indiana as a team is 20th in the country in percentage of total points scored on twos. 59.1% of Indiana's points come on two-pointers. Um, most of their offensive efficiency improvement from last season to this season has been driven by the inside outside combination of finishing more efficiently around the rim, leading to quality looks that are going down from behind the three point line now. How do you get that balance against a Purdue team that is so good around the rim?
0: The one thing I'll say, and it's more, you know, it's it's anecdotal more than uh, something you can necessarily prove, but Purdue has struggled on the road in the big 10 this year. Uh, They went to Nebraska. They went to overtime in that game. That was back in December. It was a 65-62 game. Um, And Nebraska didn't shoot particularly well from two. They didn't shoot particularly well, period. But Purdue really struggled offensively. They went to Ohio State. They only won by two points in that game. Ohio State shot above 50% from two in that one. Um, They... They didn't struggle at Penn State, but they only beat Michigan State at home by one. Penn State one. game
1: was at the Palestra. I mean, well, apparently, apparently did, it was a, a very pro Penn State yeah, crowd, but it but was, that's still it not at home. The so that's
0: good point. But they they only beat Michigan State on the road by one. They only beat Michigan, who's been pretty tepid this season, on the road by five. Uh, so you look at this Indiana team, and yes, they need to play a lot better than they did against Maryland. But I also think it's important to keep in mind that. Purdue has not necessarily had this formula that works so well for them at home travel that well. Now, they've won most of those games. In fact, they've won all of those games, uh, and they deserve credit for that. But you could make an argument that this IU road game in conference is the toughest game that they will play up to this point in conference, and the, you know there's no guarantees there. But I do think that what we're used to seeing from Purdue and Mackey may not necessarily execute quite as well on the court and assembly hall.
1: I do think fouls are part of this, and and you know, I mean, listen. When Mike Woodson complains about the free throw disparity after Maryland, that's much less. I think complaining about that result and trying to put a bug in someone's ear going forward. If I'm not mistaken, Indiana last
0: has, their last.
1: Uh, I, I believe they also have not shot more free throws at home in a Big Ten game than their opponent yet this season. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, you know, it, it, that, that, that is Mike Woodson trying to push things in a certain direction. Having said that. Indiana does have real issues with fouling. Um, And that's – sometimes it's a player like Malik Renu who, yes, can commit some freshman fouls. Also sometimes just tends to get switched into some really disadvantageous situations. Um, It's also, you know, to be completely honest, like Trey Galloway is averaging almost a full foul more per 40 minutes in Big Ten play than he is overall. Um, You know, you've talked about Race Thompson. I think he's looked better. I think you you've seen. I mean, was, there he, has been a progress. He had eleven points and he was four of six on. He took two threes that he missed at Maryland, <laughs> but he was shooting threes. Well, right? to be it. fair, at least one of those was just an end of clock. There was nothing else to do with the ball. He's still he's eight um, for thirty two on the season. Um, but you know, four of six. He was Indiana's second leading score. I think he had six or seven rebounds. He's getting better, but I think he struggled a little bit yep. defending without fouling. Jordan Geronimo. You've obviously got Zach Eady, who is a handful to try and defend without fouling. Um, and you've got a Purdue team that on the other side, and I I do not really want to comment on the way Purdue games are being officiated. That is a a wormhole this podcast will not disappear into. (laughs) One way or another, Purdue reliably does not put teams at the free throw line. So you can't just sort of say, well, hey, they're going to foul us too, so we won't worry about it. This is a game where Indiana has got to be able to defend without fouling. And I would contest as well, a game where Indiana really might need to be aware that every once in a while they just need to let it go. Like that's kind of the other thing. Like when Tamar Bates had that intentional foul, you know, it 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 was the sort of basket where it was just like, just let him score it. Yep. Like you you just turned a two-point possession into a four-point possession and there was no need to. Yep. You know, just just let him I mean, you see it in the NBA all the time, and people say, oh, that's just lax defense. It's like, no, it's just that it's a 48-minute game, and you can't afford to pick up a foul when you know the other player's probably going to hit both free throws anyway. This may also be a game where Indiana's just got to hold their hands up every once in a while and let Zach Eadie dunk the ball.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you're just—there's no point in throwing an extra point on top of the possession, particularly if you're also somewhat limited in the number of players you can bring off the bench. And for IU, they have a— They have some fouls they can give in the post. If you throw Caleb Banks in there, you've got 20 fouls theoretically. But you don't want to use all of them, especially if the likelihood he's going to score anyway. And that is going to be a really interesting thing. This IU team, they've played really good defense at times, especially over that five-game winning streak. They're capable of playing very well. Um, I've noticed that their offense really spurs the defense on and so forth. When one of those systems isn't working, the other tends to break down. I
1: thought that was – Pronounced in the Maryland game in a way that it hadn't been in a little while.
0: Exactly. And and so you do worry about or at least I I don't want to speak for you or other people, but I worry about this IU team's mentality when things don't go that well. And I and Purdue is one of those teams that can really capitalize because they're so efficient on offense. And because, you know, they are so good at getting offensive rebounds, they're they're tops in the conference by a pretty good margin in terms of offensive rebounding percentage. Um, they can really dispirit you. If you don't do what you're supposed to do at both ends of the floor. And so I am going to be really curious how all that plays out for Indiana because ultimately you know, the one thing Purdue doesn't do well offensively is protect the basketball. I think they're 11th in the conference in turnover rate and that's the one thing IU doesn't do defensively. Like as much as Indiana's played much better defense in the last three weeks – They've almost completely given up on trying to turn the other team over. Maryland, I don't think, turned the ball over in the first half. They didn't.
1: And, and, and Maryland is—I mean, Maryland does not turn the ball over. They're not a turnover team. They're not an assist team. So some of that's styles making fights. But no, Indiana is not—Indiana is, is not built to force turnovers. Yeah. It's built to force misses.
0: Exactly. And so that's a real problem when you're going up against a team with a 7-4 center whose primary stock and trade is getting offensive rebounds and putting it back in. So how does— that requires a different approach to rebounding than what Indiana has been able to do, and Trace Jackson-Davis has been able to out-rebound a lot of people. He's not going to really be able to do that going up against Zach Eady if that's the matchup because Eady can literally—I mean, Eady's got, what, six, seven inches on him? Mm. Yeah. So that's that's where, ultimately, it's going to be really fascinating to see how Indiana decides to approach that because I can see them getting knocked out of their rhythm and their mentality really quickly if their shots aren't falling and if Purdue's just able to extend possession after possession offensively.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's—and that goes back again to Tempo because I think Indiana has been more comfortable with the occasional offensive rebound in exchange for leaking some teams, some leaking players out down the floor. Um, this season, Indiana's middle of the pack and opponent offensive rebounding percentage in Big Ten play. They're not terrible, but they're not elite either. Um, and I, I mean, it, it just—the the flip side to— you know, if this were the Purdue podcast, I think we'd be talking about well, Indiana shoots the three pretty well at home. Purdue is is much improved um, defensively, but Indiana can stress that in some ways, especially if Purdue has given up some size and some experience at the guard positions, and then you're putting the ball in freshmen's hands in a really difficult environment. Yada yada yada. But I think if the again, if this were the Purdue podcast, I think the flip side is you'd be looking at it and just saying this is the sort of game that you can simplify down to go for Zach Eady. Just, just find Zach Eady. Make them stop Zach Eady. Let it be like the Michigan State game the other, the other day where he had 38 points. Don't be afraid for it to be that sort of game. And, you know, if you're Indiana, like, you don't – you almost kind of don't want to get sucked into if Zach Eady's scoring, Trace Jackson Davis has got to go score or, right. um, you know, we're just going to start fouling him until he starts missing because he's a 73% free throw shooter. So it's not like, you know, he's – He's, I mean, like Kofi Coburn. You, if you could stop him scoring, he wasn't going to hit the free throws all the time. Zach Eady probably will. You,
0: yes, you, you'd rather have Zach Eady go for thirty-five than have Mason Gillis go nine for twelve from three, shore, like he did against yeah. Penn State.
1: There's obviously that.
0: Uh, but but it's but it's like I think your idea is well taken. It's for those old-time fans listening to the podcast. It's it was I U strategy against LSU in the '92 tournament. It's like, well, okay, Shaquille O'Neal, you can go get your thirty and fifteen or whatever it was that day. And we'll just make everybody else try to beat us. The The problem a lot of teams run into when they go with that style is you actually then have to um, do a good job of of defending the rest of the people. And IU, what I worry about with them um, is that they've, they've had a hard time keeping their focus in some of those defensive assignments because they don't have the most gifted athletic uh, players or in some of their more athletic players, they're not the most – intuitive defenders, shall we say, they either struggle with positioning or they struggle with getting into positions where they're having to use their hands as opposed to use their feet. I just podcasted with our friend chronic Hoosier uh, about that very thing where you're a half step behind because you're not thinking about where you're supposed to be two or three steps ahead. And that is ultimately something that Purdue will punish you on because they are so well-drilled and they all know that system. Even the freshmen know that system really well.
1: Um, anything else on Purdue specifically? I did, it's you know I will say this I've
0: seen a lot of Indiana Purdue games. This is the first time Purdue's come in as a number one team. First uh,
1: visit from number one since Duke in 2017. only yep. the second in the last 10 years.
0: Yep, and I mean Indiana's got a pretty good record historically against number one teams coming in. They lost that Duke game, but you know Kentucky was number one when they came in. Obviously, everybody knows that game. Michigan State in 2001, uh, I believe, was number one, and Indiana knocked them off. This is going to be a great environment for people to watch a game in. I think Assembly Hall is going to be at another level from what we've seen. Assembly Hall last year was awesome, but there was such a nervous energy in there because of having not beaten Purdue in several tries. Uh, this this is going to be a similar kind of atmosphere, if not a little bit ramped up from that. And that's exciting. I mean, I – you know, Purdue-Indiana used to be such a great matchup in the 80s and, and, and even through most of the 90s because both teams were always top 25 – uh, they were. They always were loaded with with kids, not just from Indiana, but kids that had kind of ingrained themselves in Indiana and Purdue basketball lore. And we just we've missed that for most of the last twenty years. There have been occasional matchups where both teams have been good. Both teams are legitimately good. I, mean, I think Purdue is clearly a better overall team than Indiana, but this is still this is I think legitimately a top twenty-five, top thirty Indiana team. And I'm fascinated to see how this plays out in the arena, what the energy's like, how Indiana is able to garner that and use it on the court and whether or not it affects Purdue or not. Because it may not. Purdue may just be in a position where they've been in these positions before they know how to handle it. But it could very well affect them. And that is essentially how Assembly Hall used to operate when Indiana was consistently good every year.
1: It will be interesting. Um, For what it's worth, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Indiana has only won uh, three times against number one inside Assembly Hall. I believe that's right. Um, The most recent one, of course, being Michigan in 2013. Obviously, number one hasn't come in a ton, but, you know, it's – on the one hand, you expect a great atmosphere and sometimes a great atmosphere in that building can just lead to – Wins almost by fate. Um, on the other hand, it's not like number one goes down every time they come to Assembly Hall. And this is a Purdue team that, as you said, they have, they have earned it. I mean, they are they are twenty one, they're twenty two and one. And while yes, they have been, they've they've had a couple narrow escapes on the road. Um, you know, I mean, they, they've also had some really impressive. I mean, they beat Michigan State by eighteen. Um, they beat a Penn State team that's blown out Indiana and. Michigan or yeah, Indiana and Michigan. Now that was in Mackey, but they beat him by 20 and the game probably wasn't even quite that close. Um, <clears throat> obviously they've beaten, I mean, it's kind of gotten front in their face that like Gonzaga and Duke aren't great wins this year. And those are supposed to be their like signature wins. But the flip side is Marquette's a top 10 Ken Palm team and they've beaten Marquette. Um,
0: yeah, that win looks better and better. It's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like Indiana's no, win it's, against it's, Xavier. Yeah,
1: it was it was at Mackey, not uh, not on the road, but still, it's it, the 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 Gavitt games have treated both Indiana and Purdue very well this year. Um,
0: the- <laughs> Something to keep in mind: the last three times Indiana beat a number one team in Assembly Hall, in 2013 against Michigan. 2012 against Kentucky and 2001 against Michigan State. All three of those teams went on to the final four. So, there you know, <laughs> yeah, IU fans may want to wish with, the, you know, watch what they wish for here. Uh, just just a little anecdote to keep in mind on that front.
1: Um, this game and this stretch more widely, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm all, I, I, at least once annually, I, I come back to the old Greg LeMond quote about cycling, which is that it never gets easier. You just go faster. Um, bad teams are easy to give up on, good teams. And, and I do think Indiana very much has the capacity to be a good team this season, perhaps a second weekend team, perhaps a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, what you find when you cover good teams and good seasons is that um, you keep waiting for it to seem easier. And it doesn't because what happens is the more you win, the higher the stakes are raised. Yeah. And the more you win, the um, the more meaning every game takes on. When you're bad and you're losing more than you're winning, you, you know, Maryland at Maryland, for example, just doesn't really matter to to, to the wider scheme. Um, but that seems like a big deal of a game for Indiana. I mean, that, and that's, that's probably as close to a sort of – Pressure's off. Don't worry about what happens. Your game is Indiana's got left on its schedule. Um, When you are chasing big prizes and you have legitimate reason to think you can reach some of them, every game, the the, the more you succeed, just the more pressure builds because the more expectation there is, the more hope there is. Um, The flip side is we have seen what happens in this place when you let things slip a little bit too much. Um, Indiana did very well to win those five games to sort of buttress that three-game losing streak to start the new year. The Maryland loss in, in both result and performance is totally acceptable. Like, you know, in fairness to Mike Woodson, there is an extent to which Indiana just didn't hit some shots. There were two or three, four that were probably good looks. They would have graded out as, as shots Woodson would have been happy with that if they'd gone down – that game is is in a very different place, let's say, the last three minutes, that kind of thing. Um, you're in a position now, these next two, Purdue and Rutgers, both at home, uh, both top 15 Ken Palm. Indiana, a three-point underdog per Ken Pomeroy against Rutgers, a two-point um, favorite—or excuse me, against Purdue, a two-point favorite against Rutgers on Tuesday. Um, There's—I mean— it's
0: it's it is it's a fulcrum point.
1: It is. And seasons don't have them as often as I think people think they do. Like seasons just kind of keep going and you know like I mean like even after I remember saying after the Kansas game um you know that I've seen Indiana beat Kansas and North Carolina and in the season in the NIT, I've seen them lose to Duke and you know, get, get embarrassed at Maui and win the Big Ten. I said after the three-game losing streak, there's a lot of basketball to play. I said after that winning streak reached three games, there's still, it, you know, yeah. it, it's only defined by what comes next. And that's often true, but it really does feel like these two games, because they are at home, because they are the most winnable quality games left on your schedule, because you play four of five on the road after that, including trips to Northwestern, which is like not an easy thing to do this year. Um, Michigan State, obviously, and Purdue, obviously. You know, you lose these two, suddenly you're 6-7, and you're on a three-game losing streak again, four of your next five are on the road, and then you close with Iowa and Michigan at home, which aren't gimmies by any means. Any means, you've got good wins. The season's not over, but suddenly it's it feels like you're back in this sort of why can't they do it consistently? Is this just another false dawn? Is it slipping away? Yada yada. You stop. You stop. You don't get to talk about five in a row anymore. You suddenly are five and six in your last eleven games. That's where you wind up. You win both of these. Those are two huge quality wins on your resume. That probably. I mean, you're the bracketologist, not me, but that probably pushes you certainly into the four range, possibly even toward the three range, and it sets you up not just to finish above 500 in conference play for the first time since 2016, which is always a wild stat to to just sort of say out loud, but to be a top-four team in the conference, to be the sort of team that should have every confidence in holding serve at home, which at minimum means 11 wins, to be the sort of team that... People start to set up that, that that people see as a potential second weekend tournament team. If you can beat these kinds of teams, whether at home or on the road, that's those are legitimate ambitions. Um and to be the sort of team that just that gets to see for the first time in a long time, February and March is an opportunity and not not something perilous. And it just feels like like I said, not every season has these moments. It feels like this one does.
0: Apologies to those who have listened to the new Crimson Cast episode, but since the Big 10 championship year of 2016 in February, IU has gone 2 and 6 in 2017 with a 5 game yeah. losing streak, 4 and 3 in 2018, but that was coming off of a, a straight streak where they lost 13 out of 14. Yeah. 2 and 5 in 2019 with a 5 game losing streak, 3 and 4 in 2020, 3 and 5 with a 3 game losing streak in 2021 and 2 and 5 last year with a 5 game losing streak. That's who Indiana has been in you know, th- this period of the season when you set the course for what's going to happen essentially the rest of the year. Now, I look at this IU team and I say, I still don't know what to trust. Are they a team that shrinks from the big moment, or are they able to push through? Last year, it looked like that team was going to stumble to the finish line and maybe miss the tournament. They resurrected themselves in the Big Ten tournament. They got themselves into the NCAA. That represented a little bit of a turning point in IU mentality, given what it had looked like the previous several seasons. This year, they lose those three games at the start of January, and you're thinking, well, here we go again. This is a team that doesn't have it. And yet they turn around and they win five in a row. And yes, they lose the Maryland game. But now you're like, well, maybe this is a team that's figured it out. These two games coming up, home games, you know, a Purdue team that's your rival that you you beat last year with getting nothing out of your star. That's a winnable game. That's one that, you know, even though they are number one, that's a game that IU as a program historically has expected to win. Rutgers, well, they beat the crap out of Indiana, uh, you know, in Piscataway, and they they obviously lost to them twice last year, including, you know, one of the more embarrassing home losses in terms of how it finished that we've seen in a while. Um that's a game you should probably be able to win uh, given the relative strengths of the two programs. i am va- I'm fascinated right now with how this Indiana team, is able to handle the mental and emotional pressure of these two games. Because you're right. Like, if they win two or three, those two games at home, that's a lot of confidence. You can go into that game at Michigan. You don't have to win that Michigan game. You don't that have stuff, to. Yes. We
1: say this a lot, but, like, it's 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 much more pronounced because of how big these two, how much weight these two games would carry and also because of where you are in the calendar. It becomes opportunity, not peril. I,
0: I think about... You know, everybody has fond memories of that 2012
1: season. I was going to make this comparison too.
0: People forget that team was five and six. They lost uh, at Michigan, and that, you know, what looked like a promising season.
1: They went two and and five at one point. I mean, they were three and one in the conference. Then it was lost to Minnesota at home, lost at Ohio State, lost at Nebraska, beat Penn State at home, lost at Wisconsin, beat Iowa at home, lost at Michigan.
0: And you're sitting there and you're like, God, we're under 500 again. And what did they do? They went up to Mac Arena, and that wasn't a great Purdue team that year. But they they Made handled the they hand yeah. I mean they they handled them though up there, and they only lost. One more regular season game, which was kind of inexplicable in and of itself, uh, that that game at Iowa. But they only lost one regular season game the rest of the way. And, you know, who knows? If they don't lose Verdell Jones in the Big Ten tournament, maybe they beat Wisconsin in the second round that year. Uh, and that team went to the Sweet 16. You contrast that with, say, 2015 when— That team was, you know, at one point six and three, they beat Rutgers at home. And then the rest of the way, they went three and six in the regular season and essentially just petered out. Um, You know, that 2012 team to me was a program finally getting over the mental hump and believing in itself. And that not only set up what happened the rest of that year, but it largely set up what happened the year after. Now it's a different circumstance now, but from an emotional standpoint, this stretch, will help to define where Indiana basketball really is at at this point. And, yeah, I think it's I think it's critical. You know, to me, if they split these games, that's...
1: <laughs> then then this whole conversation, this whole conversation mean, is kind of meaningless. meaningless but, we just keep, yeah. But if they lose both... And so we beat on boats against the Gurns.
0: If they if they lose both, it really does illustrate that this team isn't where people hoped that it would be in terms of... Where it hoped it would when, be. Where, 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 it, it hoped where it believed it would, be. it would be. And if they win both... I think it really does set them up for being able to fully capitalize, maybe not on what the preseason expectations were, but certainly, given the injuries and given some of the the slings and arrows of fortune that I use dealt with, it does give them the ability to go into this last third of the season, thinking we're a protected seed level team. like we we at this point, we know we can play well enough to get to the second weekend in the NCAA tournament in the big Ten tournament, whatever. Uh, And I think that's really important because this team clearly needs to believe in itself and where they've had their biggest problems, not just this year, not just last year, but over the last several years is when that belief has been shaken because they don't seem to be able to shake themselves back out of it.
1: I think, um, you know, last season, you said something there that I think I think captures it well. Last season. We talk so much about this team needing to learn sort of how to put together an NCAA tournament caliber season, not just to win one game, you know, not just to beat Purdue um, and and not even. I mean, like obviously they beat Purdue and then they lay that egg against Michigan. Michigan was not a great matchup for them at that point. Um, but, you know, they, then they come back and beat Penn State and Maryland, but then they lose five in a row. How to how to do the whole how to paint the whole picture and not just, you know, certain bits of it. This year, that conversation has extended on, not least because they made the tournament, obviously, into essentially they want to feel like they are pushing Indiana basketball as an idea back to where they think it should be in, yeah. in, the, in the context of the Big Ten. Not necessarily should never lose the Big Ten, should never not go to the Elite Eight, whatever, but should always be one of those teams that nine out of every ten years starts the season with at least a reasonable path with a fair wind and the and following seas to competing for a big 10 title to competing for a top five seed to, con, you know, to, to at least thinking we, we can get to the big 10, we can get to Saturday, of the big 10 tournament. And if you can do all those things, then at some point, one of them will break for you that you win the league or you win the Big Ten tournament or you go to the second weekend or the Elite Eight or maybe even the final four. That you know, like I mean, what time well, is kind
0: of, It's kind of what Purdue is now. Yeah. Where, you know, I mean, they've you know they haven't had as much success as you would think from reading the um the glowing uh, you know recollections of Matt Painter's time there. But they've they're now in a position. This year's a great example. This was a team that a lot of people picked fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh in competition. fifth. And they you know, after losing Jaden Ivey and losing Trevion Williams, have figured out a formula that they can plug people into and that's the Purdue system and the Purdue system travels really well. And yep. they, they're getting excellent performances out of a bunch of people that they probably wouldn't have otherwise if that didn't exist. Indiana is 10 years uh, you know, b- before that at this point where you're essentially having to restructure how the program operates so that you can get back to that level like the Michigan states, like Wisconsin did for many years under Ryan – Um, that's, that's what Indiana used to have. And that is learned
1: behavior. It is. And last season felt like it was, if, if, if you could, if you could quantify, you know, these intangibles in in terms of an end goal, last season felt like it was very much defined by getting to the NCAA tournament, get that off everyone's back. So nobody has to answer questions about it anymore. Nobody's got to look at it like this thing, this, this, this vague, unknowable thing that they can't define. It's it's crossed off. It's done. This year was about basically learning how to do it consistently. I've made this comparison on podcasts before, um, but someone a long time ago told me that the difference between with the exception of just the absolute stars, the difference between the average Premier League player and the average League One player isn't talent. It's not skill. It's not. Oh, my God, look at this brilliant thing he just did. Nutmeg two people or scored from thirty yards, it's consistency. Mm-hmm. It's that that the you know the the average starter for the seventh place team in the Premier League can do something twenty nine out of every thirty times they try, and the average starter for the seventh team, two divisions down can do it like three out of every ten, and that's the difference is consistency. And what this program lost is the habit of consistent winning. What they got back last year was at least the feeling of okay, so this is what it looks like, and and they had some peaks, they had some moments when they shot, when they burned brightly before the season ultimately ended. This season was about trying to find consistency. It certainly was not there in December and early January. The five-game win streak, I'm not expecting them to go on another five, six-game win streak, but the five-game win streak and the manner of it, they beat Wisconsin by 18, they beat Illinois on the road by 15, Michigan State by 13, Ohio State by 16. Um, you know, it... it, it it gave you the sense that maybe they were, they had sort of found that a little bit. But, you know, you talked about almost like breaking through to belief in a way. Um, This this feels like the test. These two games, like in some strange way, and I, I, you know, I'm sure I'll be wrong, but in some strange way, it feels like Indiana can't go one and one in this stretch. Like Indiana will either go two and O or O and two and either undo a lot of, the good of the last—not like it's all a waste, but a lot of the good of the last season and a half will feel like it's kind of been reeled back in. Or they win these two, and again, winning these two doesn't just automatically set the the season on a course to some glorious end, but they win these two, and it does act as that sort of watershed moment where everyone can look at one another with just an unspoken confidence that says— we are the team we thought we were. Yeah. We, we have made ourselves through some adversity, through some difficulty, we have made ourselves into the team that we thought we could be at the beginning of the season that we even could envision to some extent, you know, before we played a game last season, just had to recognize that it was never going to be linear, that it had to come sort of slowly given where the program was when Mike Woodson took over, Mike Woodson needing to adjust to college, all those different kinds of things. It just it, – it feels like this is – I'm not saying it's Indiana's only chance to do this under Mike Woodson, but it feels like this is Indiana's best chance so far to go up that level that takes Indiana to a place where it where it rightly looks around and says, we have these habits now. This is, this is instinctive. This is second nature, and we all trust each other that we just know how to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, last year was a lot about we can do this, which was in – Real question, because we'd seen them not do it over the course of a long period of time. And they did. They made the NCAA tournament, and they did so by beating a couple of teams that they weren't expected to beat in the Big Ten tournament. They got a real opportunity here with two, the other two best programs in the Big Ten. And, you know, Indiana and Illinois are probably the other teams that are in that mix of maybe the top four. But you should be able in this situation to hold serve at home against those two and I think that's ultimately where Indiana finds itself right now. It's like, all right, all of this to some degree has been preamble, and now you've got nine games left in the regular season of the Big Ten. You know, you finish 12 and 8. Somehow, you know, to some degree, any combination of six wins out of the next nine games is good. But these two wins are statement wins. These are wins that say we are a force to be reckoned with, not just in the Big Ten, but also nationally we are taking ourselves seriously. You need to take us seriously as well. It's not the end of the world if they lose one or even both because they could win uh, you know, all but one of their remaining games and get to the same spot record-wise, but it wouldn't feel quite as much of a, an accomplishment given that you got a great opportunity here to take advantage of your environment and your ability to play at home. And that's what Indiana has to get back to as a basis to really be a program to be a contender year after year.
1: It's the old Bob Knight line about you put yourself in position to be in position (laughs) through better and worse. Indiana has put itself in position to have this opportunity and you're right. They could lose these two and then win three of their next four or even just their next three. It's not totally impractical. I mean, Ken Palm sees them right now as a favorite at Michigan and at home to Illinois and a one point underdog. So basically a coin flip game at Northwestern. But there's also the intangible part of this, which is you lose these two, and rightly or wrongly, you're under 500 in conference again. Your fan base is restless again, yeah. and it would take a tough team to not look at it and say, "We already dug ourselves out of this hole once." You know, we had the three-game losing streak at the beginning of the at the beginning of the Big Ten restart. We already pulled ourselves up once. Do we really have to do it again? And I'm not saying they would. I'm not saying they would just sort of collapse. I think they would still make the tournament. Sure. I think you know that the The, yeah, the, the, the speaking, reports the, of
0: the reports of their bubble liciousness are greatly
1: overstated right now by most yeah, people. Yeah, Bracket right, Bracket Matrix this morning had them as a five. Torvik's similar resumes tool has them between a six and a seven. So like they're comfortably in. Yeah. But you you would still they would be fighting that old fight again of how do we pull ourselves out of what everyone is treating, whether it actually is or not like some sort of unarrestable death spiral. Yeah. And I think that this there, there would be a lot of value in terms of, you know, everyone has sort of said the right things, and, and this is over the last year and a half, almost two years really, about, you know, Mike Woodson not saying, oh, we're going to win the Big Ten, we're going to go, but just saying that's the expectation here. That's what we, we need that to be the baseline that everyone understands. And players seem to be embracing that in a lot of different ways, um, you know, like Trace Jackson Davis had a great line to me, and, and I'm not trying to make myself sound important, but I had a one-on-one with him in the preseason, and he said, you know, basically that one of the big breakthroughs he's had in the last season and a half under Mike Woodson is that he realized when Woodson came in and started challenging him the extent to which he basically wasn't being challenged before and he was allowed to fall into this mentality of, I'm getting my 18 and 10, my 20 and 10 a game. I'm doing enough. Right. It's somebody else that's not doing enough. That was that – was, the, the message he was getting from, I mean, he didn't call anybody out by name, but he was talking about the previous coaching yeah, staff. Right. That was the environment that he was sort of existing in and the message he was taking from them. And he said that it he went up a level in terms of all the things, the way you work, the way you skill develop, all those different kinds of things. When he had a coach that said, that's not enough. There's still more to do. That sort of mentality – However, it manifests itself and we could find another half dozen examples is very healthy, whether you succeed or not at a place like this. It's 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 very healthy to be able to stand up to expectation rather than shrinking from it. But it if it even if it works, basically, it builds you to moments like this.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and and when I say it feels like Indiana's almost kind of got to go zero and two or two and O and I recognize that there's a very good chance it'll go one and one. But it it feels like this is an opportunity you either seize or you don't. And, like, you know, you you called it a fulcrum point. Like I said, people want seasons to have those moments. Until March, a lot of times they don't. You know, uh, until basically it's like you either win and keep going or you lose and the season's over, they really don't. But it doesn't. I'm glad you brought up the 2012 um, comparison. And it's it's worth saying, too – People, I don't know how many people remember that Purdue game. It was actually very close for most of the game. They won by 17, but it was single digits for most of the game until I think Remy Abel hit a three in the corner with about two minutes left to put it up like nine or 11 points. And that was when Indiana finally had the cushion. But Verdell Jones was injured for that game. And that was the game where Indiana finally went to basically Victor Oladipo as a de facto point guard. And they just started running a lot of high ball screen actions. And Victor Oladipo... Really, he, he spent the first part of that year kind of growing into the player he would become. That was when Victor Oladipo went up a level. Yep. And suddenly, Indiana had this dynamic offensively that people could not stop yep. or could only sort of slow down. And And so it wasn't just winning the game. And, and, you know, Indiana hadn't won at Purdue since, like, like 2004. or It had been a long time because, obviously, Tom Green had never won there. I don't think Samson won there in his two years. It had been a long time since Indiana had won it at Purdue. Right. It was also kind of this idea of that team looking around and saying, "This is what we're capable." of. that was a that was a that was a, that um, was a tournament team.
0: It was a four point game with four minutes left, mm-hmm. and Indiana won by seventeen. Yeah, I mean, I that, mean it and was. that
1: was that <laughs> Purdue team was a tournament team. Robbie yep. Hummel was on that team, yep. and Indiana went up there slumping, lost five of seven, didn't have their senior starting point guard, at least maybe lead ball handler, however you want to classify Verdell Jones. I, I think it's probably fair to call him a point guard. Um, He just kind of wasn't the only one that that team in the end almost had like three different point guards because Jordan Halls and Victor Oladipo developed the same way. It was also that that team sort of was allowed to look at itself after that game and say, no, no, this is who we are. We've been building toward this really for four years, but certainly for the last like, you know, two years. And now that when the moment arrived, we rose to it. And that's Indiana has given itself that opportunity here. With Purdue, certainly, and to a great extent with Rutgers as well. The moment has arrived. Can Indiana rise to it? I think that's a good way to finish things off. There we go. This has been Mind Your Banners for Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. Thank you again, Galen, so much for joining us and for producing. Always. Um, we'll, we'll use your free labor whenever we can. Uh, we will be back after the Rutgers game next week. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll wait until both of those games are done to kind of wrap that up. Thank you so much for listening for the Indianapolis Star, for the Bloomington General Times. I'm Zach Osterman. We'll talk to you soon.